0: Business is Boring is made by the spin-off with help from Callahan Innovation. Here's your host, Simon Powell. At 16,
1: Alexia Hilbertido looked around and saw that she was the only girl in her IT and physics class. Then the next year, the only young woman in advanced physics. What was going on? How did women go from being at the forefront of coding to underrepresentation at a time when it's meant to be more accessible than ever? Well, to change the ratio you have to change the structure. So Alexia decided to take the message to young women while they were still choosing what subjects they would take, and so founded Girlboss NZ, an organisation which encourages students to embrace STEM, entrepreneurship and higher leadership. In just 18 months, Girlboss NZ is New Zealand's second largest network of women, with nearly 8,000 members. At 18 years old, just finished high school, Alexia has spoken to nearly 20,000 young people, teachers, business professionals about gender equity, STEM and the future of work. This passion for future-focused education has seen her named a top 30 global team leader, a top five young leader by the Ministry of Youth Development, and the most influential New Zealand woman under the age of 25 at the 2016 Westpac Woman of Influence Awards. A serial entrepreneur, Alexia was also the national winner of the Unitech Coding App competition at 16, getting $30,000 for Kaishare, an online food redistribution platform. To talk changing the ratio and her work, Alexia joins us now. G'day. day.
2: Hello, it's great to be here.
1: Hey, thank you so much for coming along. Um, t- tell me a little bit about what led you that that kind of like guiding insight that led you to to start Girl Boss. What what was studying STEM like for you at school?
2: So I was spurred to start Girl Boss really as a result of my own experiences. So when I was in high school, um, as we discussed before, I was the only girl uh, studying IT, and then later the um, sorry in my class, and then the only girl studying advanced physics at my school. And really, the isolation of those experiences, um, I knew that there must be other young women out there who also were feeling those feelings and didn't have the, there was no current community for young women who are passionate about these fields. So I really wanted to create a space and a community for them. Also, really spurred by the statistics. So if we're looking at um, diversity and uh, number of women in leadership roles within New Zealand, if we're looking at publicly listed companies, only 2% of uh, NZX50 CEOs are women. So really, uh, we need to make sure that we're encouraging young women and so that they can go forth and change those statistics.
1: How did you go about setting that up? What What were the first steps you did to, to start the organisation?
2: So the first thing I did was I launched with a conference called the Third Wave Conference. Uh, so I, I originally did one, and I imagined it was going to be uh, just at my school and then we got a lot of interest so we moved it to AUT Business School and then that sold out and so then we added a second conference as well with a, um, a whole new cohort of young women. So in the end we had around 380 young women at our launch conference and amazing speakers, uh, Teresa Gadding, Dr Michelle Dickinson, Jacinda Dern. and that really was the launching pad for Girlboss and they the girls that came to that um, conference were the initial group of four girl boss.
1: And how did you get that started? Did you uh, visit other schools? Did you get the word out? Um, how does someone go from from having an idea and thinking you'll do something at your school to putting together a large conference at a, a business school?
2: Oh, I, I think, I think if you just. Have confidence in, in the ability to do that. I think it is possible, and we've and I we've since then, I've supported lots of other young women uh, through Girl Boss you who know, are Girl Boss ambassadors to launch their own events and to do their own projects. And I think if they can see that it's very much possible, and they I can say, "Hey, I did it," and, and you can do that as well, then it's really um, it really is possible for them. So uh, I think people are really supportive and. Especially being a young entrepreneur or a young person doing something, everyone's really keen to help.
1: Yeah, what was the reception like when you called? Did you get any of the um, kind of uh, condescension or patronising kind of attitudes that, that older um, men especially might give young women?
2: No, I, I didn't. I didn't experience any of that. I, I have to say, with the conference, we just got really positive reception. We got AUT on board. Uh, as a major sponsor in the early days and then we reached out to um, other organisations so KPMG, Orion Health uh, um, sponsored us as well. So really I have to say I just got a lot of support right through.
1: And so from using that uh, conference as the, the third wave conference as the springboard what did you then fill out the organisation to also offer?
2: Uh, so then, yeah, so we started off with that and that was such a success and then I really wanted to uh, focus on how can we give ongoing support to the network so uh, now currently what we do is workshops, uh, mentoring, working with our ambassadors to empower them to develop their own leadership projects so a lot of what I do now is actually facilitating them to run their own Girl Boss events or to do their own projects which further the message.
1: And what does a workshop look like? Uh, There are a couple of different streams of those, aren't there? Ones with um, schools and young women. And do you do them also for uh, businesses or corporates or people that need to know how to open their perspectives wider?
2: Yeah, so we do the Girlboss Lead Programme, which is with young women focusing on confidence, resilience uh, and leadership development. And then I do a lot of corporate speaking with um, various corporates around how can they foster diversity and inclusion within their workplace? How can we encourage more young women to come through? And then also within the future of workspace, how can we ensure that we are focusing on encouraging young women into into future-focused education?
1: How's that going? So you've been doing it for a couple of years now and talking to uh, young women making these decisions. Are there more people now sitting in those IT classes and the advanced physics classes, or do more young women feel welcome in those spaces?
2: Yes, well, that's that's very much our intention and always is a goal from from the get go. And we do uh, how we measure impact is we do surveys with the young women before and after they go through our our course, and we are seeing really fantastic results from that. So. Uh, All our indicators are above uh, 85%. So looking at, you know, has your confidence increased? Are you more likely to uh, take a STEM career? And it is really amazing how powerful uh, one, you know, just one event or one conference can be for just widening their perspectives of what is possible. So uh, I did an event, I was part of an event at Long, uh, Long Bay College with year Nine uh, sorry year eight students about to go into year nine, and uh, we asked them before the event wh- how, how interested are you in taking digital technology as a subject uh, in high school and I think we had about thirteen uh, percent and then uh, after it we were got up to about sixty seven percent and that was a one day event so I, and I really believe in the power of one day events because I know myself. Um, When I was around 15, one of the real major turning points for me that made me choose that subject was there was a Rail Girls event, which was held at the Vend offices. Uh, And that was the first time I'd ever met a female software engineer, let alone a female software engineer. That was the first time I'd seriously, actually even considered technology as an option. Even though I was always really fascinated about computers, um, I remember I saw... Uh, The other day I saw a project I did when I was about seven in primary school and I said my hobby was making slideshows. So I was obviously always really passionate (laughs) about computers, but that didn't translate to me. It wasn't a norm that I would go into technology because I just hadn't seen anyone that I know or seen anyone that looks like me in that space. And um, after that I did take digital technology in high school and it really was a launching pad for me. So how how can I provide more of those experiences to other young women?
1: Yeah, that, that idea of you have to be able to see it to be it, how do you show young women that there are successful women, and what kind of things do you do through the workshops uh, to show them that there's space for them in these places?
2: Yeah, the power of representation cannot be underestimated, because young women can't be what they can't see, and uh, and so what we do is we highlight their stories through our newsletter, uh, we have speakers at our conferences, we... Uh, encouraging mentoring, though we're, we're relaunching that next year with women working in a variety of industries that they may potentially be interested in going into, really foster and support that.
1: Yeah, it's um it's a fascinating thing. Like um you just mentioned Vend where um where I work, and we're in the process of uh, hiring a number of um, engineers, and we've put the word out very far and the hiring manager was saying to me um, the other day that they've uh, they, they attended refactor that um, the vent was a sponsor of and they went and they've um, they've done a number of things to try and increase the number of female applicants but there's still been a vanishingly small number and so it comes down to that kind of pipeline thing where women need to feel that there's space for them inside the whole industry but also mm the education streams or else you don't get that pipeline beginning I just wonder like what, what, what what's the kind of um, what are the blockers to young women actually studying it at university or at tertiary level uh, or, or feeling that it's like something for them
2: so there's various factors uh, which a lot of re- a lot of research has been done on that and various factors have been identified. Uh, some of the ones we focus uh, at Girlboss New Zealand is around the idea of misconceptions of difficulty. So many young women, especially when we're looking at uh, uh, young women on average have lower rates of confidence and also from a young age are encouraged to choose uh, to go for the perfect grades over the more challenging path. So so what they're doing is they aren't choosing subjects that they perceive to be more difficult. So they're not choose, they perceive technology to be more difficult. They perceive um, calculus over statistics to be more difficult. And so that's what we really want to do is we want to break that down, show them that is very much a viable career path for them. Uh, another big one is around the idea of lack of community. If a, if a young woman's joining a classroom and she's the only girl there... Or she's not feeling welcomed in that space when she goes along to a coding event. That's going to be a huge barrier for them. So how can we make sure that when if they do are interested in it, that, that we keep them there?
1: Are things that hit the the big kind of media consciousness things like Gamergate, where a whole mm. lot of adolescent boys, kind of um, who never grew up, who are involved in the video gamey kind of. Um, world are are, are misogynistic and and, 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 and terrible. Does that kind of stuff, um, because of the way that the the media and the world kind of conflate video game players with techie developers, does that kind of stuff help make spaces feel unsafe as well?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, they talk about a programming culture and that that can be really off-putting for young women. And I think particularly with technology, a lot of the time it's really... It's really, when we, if we and tell young women, I ask them what people working in technology do they know. First of all, they can never name a, a famous woman working in technology. And the only people they can name normally are Bill Gates and, and Steve Jobs. And so I think that's a really big one is you actually kind of, Uh, comparing them to sort of geniuses so they think that to be in there you have to be some total um, you know genii and so how can we make them realize that actually you don't have to be like that and I think it's something that even people within the technology sector themselves perpetrate that myth that it is incredibly incredibly difficult when I think makes it more intimidating for young women
1: like that founder myth, where people have to work a thousand hours and and eat you know noodles and and not um, not have any form of balanced life exactly,
2: I think there is a glamorization of overwork and entrepreneurship as well, which can be um off putting for, for young women,
1: yeah yeah and, and for everyone and, yeah, that, and, a, and also
2: <laughs> they kind of glamorize it that you have to be hardcore and brutal and and that 's just not appealing to young women who who are focused on. Uh, social impact and, and want to um, and and pr- actually all young people are now prioritizing a work-life balance and things like that so how can we instead say hey with entrepreneurship you can choose your path and you can be your own boss and you can decide uh, how how you run your life I think that's more of an appealing uh, path to take. Hmm.
1: That is interesting because that, that kind of um, you mentioned Steve Jobs and there have been some great uh, articles written about how the kind of mythologizing of him being um, uh, a, a bit of an asshole has actually made it a lot harder um, for, you, you know, managers think that they're being geniuses if they're just right. being that. unreasonable and the like. And, and and that kind of Steve Jobs image is so out of place with the modern tech mm. um, environments. And also the idea of like programmers as being these Programmers, because mm. you hear the awful stories, but all the developers I know are like lovely and thoughtful exactly, and like
2: exactly. deep
1: thinking and, and open to new ideas.
2: Exactly. And if you're looking at, um, you know, I talk to different te- sort of tech recruiters and with Girl Boss, and if you're looking at the skills that they're valuing and uh, and what values they want in employees, it's so far from the stereotype of what uh, people working in tech is like. So how can we show? Uh, young women how can we show young people that it's through technology where you can have a clear social impact and it's through technology where um, you can be collaborative and work with various stakeholders and really make a big um, big impact so it's really around changing the view of of what it's like
1: and so you've got quite a few streams of work going at the moment between Mm -hmm. the um, the events with the ambassadors and with uh, going into the schools and with the corporate workshops What's your kind of vision for Girlboss NZ in the um, in the short term, and what have you got coming up next?
2: Uh, So, in the short term, we've got uh, we're going to continue um, our leadership Girlboss lead workshops in schools, uh, and one project that we're starting very soon is an online mentoring platform. So, currently with Girlboss New Zealand, uh, when we're doing our mentoring, we're matching we're matching them up, but still very much sort of manually matching them up. So. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to create, create an online mentoring platform which allows uh, that on a mass scale mm. so that it actually can be accessible to young women nationwide and that they can log on there and they can um, search for mentors and, and be matched up with a, with someone in an industry that they may be interested in. And I think that's really important because something that we really um, focus on at Girlboss New Zealand is building the social uh, networks and, and their, their social capital so we've got a big focus on supporting young women from low income backgrounds who may not know anyone that works in, in technology or in STEM so how do, how do we support them by connecting them to people and that's, that was the big guiding principle uh, behind uh, the mentoring platform.
1: It feels to me like there's a wave about to break. So we um, we've we've got terrible uh, representation of women at the CEO level and at the director level, mm. uh, but in the kind of upper middle management ranks of all of our biggest corporates and all of our um, biggest players, there's a huge number of uh, female leaders uh, in that space, and and I f- you know it really feels like there is a wave cresting, but still there's that crazy underrepresentation yeah. at the top.
2: And and that's something really interesting because uh, I was talking to uh, May Chen, who's part of the super diverse woman uh, network, and was as um, a lawyer, and she. So she's a leader of the Super Diverse Woman Network, which I'm also in. And she was talking about that, and she said, you know, they've been saying it for years. They've saying, look, there's all these women rising up their ranks. And and it, I said, she said, I remember years ago they were saying, oh, eventually they're going to come through to CEO level. And she said, oh, I just haven't seen it. And they're saying, there's this pipeline, this apparent pipeline, but I don't know if they've died in the pipeline or where they are <laughs> because they're not making it to the top level. So I hope that these women coming through can make it to those top levels. Uh but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure if that will happen because they have been saying that for for a while now. But let's hope.
1: Yeah, that's a fantastic, uh, yeah. fascinating perspective. The um, the NASA trip. Let's talk about um, about that. So, how did you come as a as a communicator in these STEM subjects to be picked to go on this amazing um, NASA mission? Tell me about that.
2: Yeah, so I was invited by the US Embassy uh, here in New Zealand to to go uh, be be part of the NASA Sophia project. And I was uh, really selected as a scientific communicator. So uh, something that NASA is really passionate about and actually the general science community uh, right now is really passionate about is how can we make science accessible to everyone and how can we break down uh, science so that people, the everyday person can understand it. And I think that's something I'm incredibly passionate about because we're having, I think, a real rise of anti-science rhetoric because... The scientists sitting in the lab aren't always communicating that with the public. And there's, I feel like, a growing lack of distrust between the public and um, and scientists. So how can we bridge that gap? And that's what I'm really passionate about. And uh, that's why I was invited on that, um, on that trip as yeah.
1: well. It's such an unfair match, such a mismatch, because scientists, uh, by um, their kind of Code and ethics have to rely on facts mm-hmm. and have to only say things that they can back yes. up. Well the forces that are undermining science in the public sphere will make up any old thing.
2: Oh, exactly. And you only have to—I um, think there's two two major reasons. Also, a lot of the time that people that are spreading anti-science messages have got um, are promoting products. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I know a well-known sort of pseudo scientist is Gwyneth Paltrow, who sells her various anti-science sort of products. And, and it's amazing because, you know, she can glamorise it and have all the, her and, and taking all these photos and talking about all the wonders of these products with absolutely no science uh, to back it up. Uh, and then h- how is a normal scientist sitting in a lab who uh, is supposed to compete? How are they going to compete with that? Uh, also, um, many scientists don't want to be political as well. And they don't actually want to come. They actually think that's doesn't align with the value, uh, the core ethics of science. I mean, I was spoke at the March for Science, which was held earlier this year, which was a global march, I think around 60 countries. And there was various articles about New Zealand scientists who weren't supporting that and who weren't going to be at the march because they said, you know, we should not bring politics into science and we should not, um, you know, that's not the role of a scientist. So there's still many factors, which means that uh, we really, that science communication's got a long way to go.
1: What did the trip allow you to do? And what, I mean, uh, you, were you the youngest person ever selected at that time and, um, and and on the edge of space?
2: Yeah, so it was a fantastic experience. So we went to around 45,000 feet and um, we were at that height, we were above 99% of infrared blocking um, water vapour, which meant that we could have uh, fantastic observations off space. And uh, so, it was around a thirteen and a half hour hour flight that that I was involved with and, and yeah, it was really fantastic, and one thing that I um really valued so i was I was talking to uh, one of the women. Uh, scientists on on the flight and you know she was saying and and actually all the men were really saying NASA's really value and diversity and I think that was also part of the reason that I I was on board is that's a real big priority for them because they're looking at um, the research which says um, you know that for science to reach its full potential we need to make sure that everyone's in the conversation and that everyone is considering that path so yeah it was a fantastic experience.
1: And having got to do that and having the um, media attention from that did that then open up more doors for you to be able to communicate, you know, the important messages uh, around science and inclusion uh, that you're doing?
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, after that, I did about I spoke to about six schools in Wellington and uh, spoke to a few uh, young, so primary school, primary school and intermediate children, and and they were very excited, uh, obviously about about the whole NASA thing. And but I was really encouraging them to say, hey, it's possible and and to to go into science and really tr- my goal is to really normalize it so that uh, young women can think of being an entrepreneur and think of being a scientist as very much a normal career path for them.
1: Do you have any, there are a couple of questions we like to ask everyone, do you have any words you live by, any kind of mottos or things you say to yourself when things get tough?
2: Yeah so my favorite quote is from Dr Angela Davis who is a uh, well-known uh, American activist uh, particularly in, in feminism and social issues and uh, her quote is uh, I'm no longer accepting the things I cannot change, I am changing the things I cannot accept and I really love love those words because to me they just encourage me to always um, to, to, to challenge what I'm doing and challenge how innovative Girlboss New Zealand and how can we take that to the next step and uh, Dr Angela Davis is um, is a pretty hardcore activist, so really encouraging me to say, How can I um, further what we're doing? Mm.
1: And you know, you're in the business of giving advice to uh, people looking at entrepreneurship. What do you tell young people who are thinking about starting an idea?
2: So, my uh, number one advice is that to not wait till you reach a certain milestone before you start going out and having impact. So I'm encouraging young women who are 16 years old, hey, how can you spread what you're passionate about and and with other people? And how can you have an impact outside, uh, you know, within your school community and then actually outside that school community? And and that's incredible. I mean, a lot of uh, young women that have... Been gone through the Girlboss program and we've encouraged them to push themselves to that next level, uh, have had a lot of success. Uh, young Wellingtonian of the year last year, Maisie Bentley uh, was a Girlboss New Zealand uh, member and actually uh, received the award because of the work she's doing to expand that, uh, expand the work within the Wellington region, the Girlboss work within the Wellington region. Uh, we've, we just launched in Australia three months ago under the name Change Make Her Australia and our Brisbane coordinators just got named Young Social Entrepreneurs of the Year for the Business News Awards. I mean, that's that's absolutely um, incredible. And that's all through us saying, hey, you can do it. You may still only be in high school, but you can still run a conference and you can still further your impact.
1: And what do you wish you'd known earlier? Which um, it doesn't apply as much to you as it does to some of our guests as, um, as just with that last bit of advice you didn't wait until there was some kind of arbitrary age to start doing things, which is so, so cool.
2: Yeah, one thing I'd wish I'd known earlier were probably to have the confidence to, to do it myself and have the confidence to believe that, that I was capable of, of going it alone. Uh, so I think particularly for young entrepreneurs and many young entrepreneurs that I know, they regret going into forming a team or working with other people when it was very much... Uh, you know their idea and their passion, but they brought other people on board because they didn't have the confidence in themselves to do it, uh, to do it alone. So I think my advice to, uh, or one thing that I wish that I'd known and that I think more people should know is to have the confidence to, to do it yourself in an entrepreneurial venture.
1: That's, that's magic. Back yourself. If you're listening, back yourself. Yes. <laughs> uh, Alexia Hilbertido, thank you so much for coming in today uh, and for thank sharing you. the story of Girlboss NZ. Uh, if people would like to um, get involved, if young women especially would like to join your network of um, 8,000, uh, mm-hmm. how do they get involved?
2: Sure thing. So if you'd like to um, be part of Girlboss New Zealand movement, you can go on www.girlboss.nz and become a member for free. We're also always looking for um, people that may be interested in supporting Girlboss New Zealand and its initiatives, so mentors or any other support, and they can also go on the Girlboss website and sign up to the Girlboss New Zealand support network.
1: And if anyone would like to support, uh, the reason that the programmes are um, so affordable for people to be involved in is that there's a lot of sponsorship that helps get this into the schools, isn't there?
2: Exactly. So at Gilbus New Zealand, equity of access is a priority for us, and that's only possible due to corporate sponsorship. So, uh, yeah, if anyone's interest, any organisation is interested in sponsoring Gilbus New Zealand and fostering relevancy with the next generation of female change changemakers, uh, they can... Um, yeah, contact us through the website
1: Wonderful, thank you so much for coming in today thank you very much Madeline Chapman for recording and thank you very much for listening
0: You've been listening to Business is Boring presented by Simon Pound and brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callaghan Innovation From the Spin Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring. Brought to you by Spark Lab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on Spark Lab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometers of cycle paths across Tamaki Makaurau, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spinoff Podcast Network.